Well, thank you for being here this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open it with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be starting in chapter 1. If you don't know me, my name's Rusty. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're glad that you're hanging out with us here. And if you are watching via Crossroad.live or Crossroad app or Facebook, we're just glad that you're here. Uh, But we're especially glad that those of you who've made it here to worship with us and uh, it's just such a good time to gather around the Word of God together. Uh, that's what we're here to do. I want you to understand that's what we come together for. Uh, it's not for the show. What we're here to do is to worship Jesus together as a family. And that's what we're about here at Crossroads. So uh, I'm glad you're here to worship Jesus with us. And now we're going to do that through the Word of God here in the Gospel of Luke. I'm excited to be starting a new journey with you today through this Gospel as we move through the Christmas story here in the Gospel of Luke. I just really felt compelled by the Lord to just kind of make a home here for a while and kind of just walk through this Gospel together over the next several months. So that's what we're doing today, starting with Luke's introduction. So if you don't have a church background, we're really, really glad that you are here and that you're listening in to see what God may be doing in your life When you look at the New Testament, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's how the New Testament starts out. Now, each of these Gospels is really the same story. They're telling the story of Jesus Christ, but they're telling that story from different perspectives. Different people are telling the same story. I've heard it compared to before if you were at a baseball game or a sporting event. If you're at a baseball game, hopefully it'd be the Houston Astros, okay? And you're you're welcome. Uh, You know, and you're seated at different places in the venue, yet you're all watching the game. Things are going to look different to you regarding your perspective. So each of these Gospels are written from different perspectives. And to make matters even more interesting, they're written kind of toward different target audiences. So what we're going to kind of look at today is this Gospel of Luke. Who was he? Who is he writing this to before we dive in to our main text for today. So the other three gospels in the New Testament really get straight to work. John, we studied actually John chapter one jumps into a theological masterpiece there. Uh, Mark actually starts right in the action of Jesus's ministry. And Matthew starts off with a genealogy. Well, Luke actually uniquely stops down in the first four verses to essentially introduce himself to the reader and explain what's happening. So with all that said, let's just let Luke introduce himself to us, starting here in verse 1 of chapter 1. The Word of God says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that in our world it is very, very difficult these days to obtain certainty about anything. Truth is very, very difficult to find in our culture. You can uh, turn on the news, and and used to, there was a point in time where you said the news, and that meant kind of one thing. Now that means wildly different things, depending on what news you're talking about, doesn't it? We had the State of the Union address this week. It was either the best or the worst thing that ever happened, depending on who you ask and what news channel you watch, right? And it's very confusing, and it's just hard to find what the truth is. And the question that we all kind of end up asking at the end of the day is, what is your source? You know, we live in a day of Internet research. When I was in college, this new thing was coming out called Wikipedia. Have you ever heard of it, right? 
Uh, as the great philosopher Michael Scott says, uh, you know that it's true because anybody can put anything they want on it. So you know that it's uh, true information. Uh, but that was a new thing. And I, I remember that like now all of us have these things in our pockets. We can pull up information really quickly. Yet despite all of this information that's accessible to us, have you had that moment where you see something on social media and you're like, wow, a really shocking story with shocking details about something incredibly shocking. And you start reading it and you're like, I don't know if this is true. And it's hard to figure out, is this true or not? Like, how do we really know? This isn't a new problem. In fact, President Abraham Lincoln famously said, I've got a slide for this. The problem with quotes found on the Internet is that they are often untrue. The man before his time. <laughs> of course, that's a fake quote, uh, in case you didn't know. Uh, but that just kind of helps us prove our point to this next slide. The source of truth matters, doesn't it? It matters who the source of truth is. Who are you listening to in your life? Who is it that informs the way you live your life? The source of truth absolutely matters. So as we begin this journey through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be talking about who Jesus is, who he was historically. What does that mean for us? And if we're going to do that, we need to know who is writing this and why they even set out to write it in the first place. Most biblical scholars will suggest that Mark is the earliest gospel that was recorded and written down. By the way, speaking of the Internet, if you go home and try to research some of this, you're going to find a lot of different answers. This is debated topics of when these were written and what order they were written and all of that. But it's generally accepted that Mark is the earliest gospel that was actually written down. And we think Luke came not long after that. In fact, probably used the gospel of Mark for some source material. But the reality is long before any of this was documented and written down, the oral traditions of the gospel of Jesus Christ existed for many decades after his death, burial and resurrection before they were ever written down. Some people date the Gospels closer to Jesus' resurrection, but most of them give a few decades in between. But that doesn't mean the Gospel didn't exist. Rather, the Gospels were simply passed down from generations to the next, from decade to the next decade through oral tradition. Now, if you're like me, that kind of sounds shady, doesn't it? Because in our culture today... That seems second rate. It almost sounds like hearsay to us. But you need to understand that in the culture in which Luke is writing, oral traditions were passed down extremely accurately from generation to generation to generation. But even with this being the case, Luke had a desire to document these oral traditions. As the years passed, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, those who had literally walked with him and lived their life with him, We're starting to die, and Luke was afraid that the gospel truth could die off with them. So, compelled by the Holy Spirit, he worked to investigate, study, research, and compile this orderly account of who Jesus was and what he did. In fact, Luke would continue this writing into the days of the early church in a book that we call Acts, which is the uh, sequel, essentially, to the book of Luke. So who was Luke? Who is this guy that we're talking about? He's got his name on this book, but who was Luke? Well, we know from Scripture, primarily the book of Acts and even some mentions in Paul's letters, that Luke was a companion of Paul. He was a Gentile, which means that he was not of Jewish heritage. And we know from Scripture that he was a doctor. So this Gentile doctor who has a heart for caring for people gives his life to Christ, 
presumably during one of Paul's missionary journeys, and he feels led by the Spirit to go with Paul. We know that because Luke is writing the book of Acts, and I love this because he said, and then Paul went here, then Paul went there, then they went here, then they went here, then they did all this, then they did that. And then a very sudden shift happens to where all of a sudden he said, and then we, we went this way, then we journeyed here. So Luke joins them on this journey of sharing the gospel across the known world. So you can imagine all of the opportunities that that presented for Dr. Luke. Luke is getting to meet people who the apostles who had literally walked with Jesus every waking moment for three years. He's uh, entering people who possibly had been healed by Jesus and people who had encountered Jesus in a variety of ways. He's compiling all this information and he feels led and compelled by the Lord to put it together for his friend Theophilus. Verse 4 said that he wrote this so that Theophilus may have certainty about the things he had been taught. Theophilus is a name that means friend of God. Friend of God. Scholars have debated, is Theophilus uh, one person or is Theophilus kind of a broad name for a group of people? Is Theophilus actually this person's name or is Theo just a nickname that he's assigned to somebody? We don't really know. It doesn't particularly matter. But the text seems to indicate this is written to a, an actual person, uh, either named or nicknamed Theophilus by Dr. Luke. And again, he writes, here's why I'm writing this to you, Theo. Here's the truth. I'm writing this so you may have certainty about the things that you have been taught. Isn't that a great thing to do? Isn't that a great gift for us today? Skeptics, believers, if you've been in the church a long time or if you're brand new to this whole church thing, the gospel of Luke is for us so that we can be sure and certain of that which we have been taught and what we believe about Jesus. As Dr. Luke pins this gospel, he's not only writing for Theophilus, for we know that the Holy Spirit of God was leading, guiding, and directing his heart and his mind and even his pen as he is writing down these words that God has given him. And God would preserve, protect, and in his providence provide the word of God even so now, a couple thousand years later, We're here in Wichita, Kansas with this open in our laps saying, God, would you use this gospel to make us more certain of that which we have heard? Isn't that a blessing for us as the people of God? God's word is so amazing. So we've been blessed by this book already, hopefully, and I'll say that, you don't have to agree, but during the Christmas season, we actually walked through Luke 1 and 2, and God was teaching us many things. So today what we're actually going to do is finish chapter 2, and next week we will be ready to dive into chapter 3 together. So what you just experienced was the longest sermon introduction in the history of sermon introductions. You feeling good? All right, good. Thank you. I'm glad you, if if there would have been nothing right then, I'd have been like, all right, uh, cool, let's go. I'm going to pray for us and just ask the Lord to help us. We're going to read a really, what I think is a bizarre yet really cool story here in the text. So let's pray together and then we'll jump into Luke 2. Jesus, thank you for coming to be our Savior. And thank you for inspiring Luke to write this down, to provide this orderly account so that we can be more certain of that which we have heard and seen and experienced and been taught. Lord, we want you to speak to us. We don't need my words. We don't need something to just make us feel better. But, God, we need your truth to speak directly to our hearts. So have your way in this place. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're in Luke 2 now. So to the very end, verse 42 is where we will dive in. Luke 2. 
verse 42. The word of God says this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now notice this. It doesn't say that Jesus got forgotten, you know, that they left and didn't realize this isn't like a home alone situation, that they were in a hurry to leave. And next thing you know, Jesus is still at home. No. Jesus intentionally, at 12 years old, is going to stay behind because he's got business to do, okay? So let's pick up there in uh, verse 44, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And listen to this, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. One of the most common conundrums and questions revolving Jesus' life is his childhood. What happened in the childhood of Jesus? Songwriters like the great Rich Mullins have pondered about what the childhood of Christ must have been like. Movies, books, even false gospels that were written around the same time as the gospel of Luke try to say, what was it like to be kid Jesus? And we think, man, that would have been crazy to understand and experience that. But here's the reality. The Bible doesn't really give us many details. We actually just have a few chapters about his birth, a few family details, and then it jets all the way to when he's 30 years old. Outside of the birth narratives and these family details, the only glimpse of his childhood is right here in these verses we read. Why is that? I wish I had some philosophical great answer for you, but here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what we do know. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So what we need to be who God wants us to be is given to us through his word. So we can take comfort in that and know this today and to know that what's that that's really what's important is that God's given us what we need to live for him. Now, to our modern sensibilities, I'll confess to you that this seems incomplete. We're all about the biography, aren't we? We want to know the beginning. We want to know the growing up stories. We want the coming of age moments. We want all of that kind of stuff. But the reality is the biography in the sense that we know it today didn't really exist at the time Luke is writing this. Luke was not written to be a chronological uh, play-by-play of the life of Christ. Instead, the Holy Spirit is leading him to write this that we have here before us. So this is what we get. Literally 10 verses, essentially, about Jesus' childhood. So we'll look at one verse, and that verse we actually just read slowly at the end, verse 52. One sentence Luke uses to sum up three decades of Jesus' life. Isn't that crazy? 
So here's the scene. Here's the story. They're going to the Passover and what would happen for this feast of the Passover. It was a huge religious event. Everybody, all the Jewish folks would gather up wherever they lived and they would travel to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And it was a huge event. Jesus's family, his earthly parents and his extended family and everybody there, really the entire town would essentially load up and head to Jerusalem for this feast. It was a mass exodus there from Nazareth. As a kiddo in Sperger, Texas, a little bitty town, I remember when I was about eight years old that our baseball team made the state championship game in Austin. And it was a big, big, big deal for our little community. And Austin was several hours away, but pretty much everybody was going. And I remember uh, driving up. Oh, I wasn't driving. I was eight years old. <laughs> Dad's like, take the wheel, son. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but as I, we pulled up to the intersection, and yes, I, the town is small enough that there is the intersection, okay? As we pulled up to the intersection, somebody had crafted a sign and put there in the middle of town that said, last one out, turn out the lights. Because everybody was headed to Austin to watch that game. This is a, kind of what's happening in Nazareth. The whole town is headed out to this event. So they go and they celebrate the Passover together as family and as community. They've all done that together. And they start to head home. And as they're heading home, Mary and Joseph probably have the moment where they're like, Have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen Jesus. I'm sure he's here somewhere. Let's just keep plowing ahead. So finally, they realize after a certain amount of time, a day or two, it's like, okay, we really need to put eyes on Jesus. It's been a while. So they start looking around, and they realize that they can't find him anywhere. Now, listen, some of you already are like parent-shaming Joseph and Mary, all right? And, and I get it, because you're like, what kind of parent does that? That's really messed up. Two or three days, somebody calls CPS. What's going on? But a couple things you need to understand that are happening here. Number one, Jesus is 12 years old. Now, some of you are like, I got a 12-year-old. It's still a bad decision. Okay, I recognize that. But in this culture, 13 years old was the point of manhood for a Jewish boy. They stopped being a Jewish boy and became a Jewish man with the responsibilities of a man at this point. So Jesus is on the cusp of manhood at this age. On top of that, it was a different world where it was kind of a communal environment. Some of you grew up in neighborhoods and places like that where it didn't matter. Everybody on the street could whoop you if they needed to, right? Some of you grew up in that background. It's the same way. There's all these people, and Jesus is here, and Jesus is around, and they're just assuming that he's with a cousin or with a friend, and they're not really worried about it. But then it gets to this point where they realize they can't find him. So they head back to Jerusalem, and can you imagine the panic that they must have felt? Just as a parent, this creates anxiety in me reading and thinking about this. It's, the Bible says it took them three days. And not only have they lost their kid, but listen, Mary and Joseph knows whose kid it really is, right? They're losing your kid is bad, but they just lost the son of God, okay? You can imagine what that must have felt like. So they're looking and looking. It said it took them three days, and they finally get to the temple. And there's Jesus. Sitting with the teachers of the temple, listening, asking questions, engaging in meaningful conversations with the temple leaders. That scene in and of itself is amazing. Think about a 12-year-old having these conversations, meaningful conversations, to the point that people are kind of gathering in and wanting to hear what's happening. I have conversations that I think are meaningful, but there's not people trying to gather around and listen most of the time. This is like a podcast type of situation. Everyone's like, we got to hear this. There's some good stuff happening here. And people are pressing in, wanting to hear what's going on. 
The text says that Mary and Joseph were astonished. If Mary and Joseph had been my parents, I think it would have been a different word there. Uh, I promise you this, astonished certainly didn't mean that they're like taking out their iPhone, taking video. Look, he's talking to the temple leaders. No, in fact, what does it say happened? Mary says to Jesus, what are you doing? We've been looking everywhere for you. Don't you know how worried we've been? Why would you leave? Why wouldn't you tell us where you are? Why would you do this to us? And Jesus responds, and and don't read an ugly tone into Jesus' response. Remember who Jesus is. I believe this was really a question asked out of genuine confusion. Jesus says, don't you know that I would be at my father's house? Don't you know that I had to be here? Why were you looking? Don't you know that I would be with my father? Verse 50 tells us that they didn't really understand it in the moment. Again, I'm sure that emotions were running high. But it does tell us that Mary remembered these things and treasured them in her heart. Jesus submits to his earthly parents and goes back to Nazareth with them. What a strange story. Can we just acknowledge that? It's a weird story. And here's what's weird about it to me. I'm sure Luke heard some other stories. Luke around all these people. I'm sure he probably hung out with some people who had known Jesus or had heard stories of Jesus' childhood. Why is this the story that we get? Why is it this story that Luke feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to include in this passage? I think there are a couple reasons and a couple things that we need to see in this text that Luke is trying from the very beginning of his gospel to let us in on together that we need to remember. The first thing is this, a really important theological truth. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus was fully God and fully man, completely God and completely human at the same time. Even at 12 years old, it's clear that this is not just an ordinary kid. There are debates about how this worked itself out and what it meant. Did Jesus know from the very beginning of his conscious life that he was God in the flesh? Or is this something that was progressively revealed to him? We don't really know how that works, but we do know this. That Jesus was the sinless Savior. That he lived his life and did not sin. So I would argue that Jesus was very well aware of his mission and calling from the very beginning of his life. Why would I argue that? Because I have toddlers, and can I just tell you something? They're already little sinners. It got weird because uh, my my two-year-old was in the first service. (laughs) And I got to that part and I was like, uh, distractor, uh, you know, but, but I just really, I mean, think about it. You don't have to teach your kids to sin. And Jesus was the perfect sinless savior. So I believe that from the very beginning, he was aware of his calling and his mission. But however you want to sort that out theologically, you can debate with me if you want to. We can talk about that over a cup of coffee. But at the end of the day, we all have to land here that Jesus was fully God and fully man. It's an important theological truth for us to understand today because I think there are a lot of people in the world who try to just make Jesus into a good teacher, into just a cool dude that had some cool things to say. But the reality is if you read the Bible and you read the Gospels, Jesus does not leave room for that interpretation. As C.S. Lewis so eloquently put it, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. It's sometimes called the Lewis Trilemma. Essentially what he's saying is that when you read the Bible and you read what Jesus said and who Jesus said he was, 
He's either first an absolute liar who is intentionally deceiving masses of people, or he's a lunatic who believes he's this person, but he's not, or he is the Lord of all. He is who he claims he is. When you read the Gospels, when you read the Bible, it's clear that Jesus was not just a cool guy with some interesting philosophies. He came claiming to be the Son of God. He intentionally stepped into this role. He specifically and carefully worked out specific biblical prophecies. Jesus literally went out of his way in certain situations to fulfill prophecy. And since his death and resurrection, people through the centuries have died in his name. So the modern culture's painting of Jesus that would make him into this kind of cool hippie dude who just came to shower love over all the world, that is not really a historical and biblical picture of who Jesus was. Jesus came to this world for the purpose of saving humanity from the wrath of God through his sacrificial death on the cross. This was no ordinary kid, and Luke wants us to see this. This is no ordinary man. Jesus was fully God. And fully man. The second thing that's really kind of a, a sub point, if you will, is this. God's plan for Jesus was an action from his birth. God's plan for Jesus was an action from his birth. Here he is at age 12, exposing truth through the scriptures to the men who taught at the temple. Again, another modern fallacy about Jesus is that he just kind of backed into this whole being the savior thing. And this is the popular thing. I've seen this on a couple of those goofy documentaries that you'll stumble on. Uh, Let me say documentaries that you stumble upon on uh, cable channels or all these streaming services that kind of says, Jesus was a guy. He saw a market. He saw an opportunity and he capitalized on it. People will act as if Jesus just kind of backed into this role. But the reality is, even though his public ministry didn't start till age 30, Luke wants us to know from the very beginning, there's been something different about this guy. Remember the first two chapters of Luke that we walked through at Christmas. Angels are predicting his birth. Then when he's actually born, angels are proclaiming his birth. Can you imagine there at the scene of the birth, random guests show up? Unexpected company? Hey, we're here to see you. You don't know us, but we're stinky shepherds. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Jesus is a toddler and random people are showing up at the house. The wise men a few years later bringing gifts. Random guy showing up at the house with gifts for your children. How's that working in today? Not going to happen. All these things are happening. Remember, they take baby Jesus to church. Do you remember this message? They walk into church with baby Jesus and people who don't even know him are rushing up to him. They're praying and they're prophesying and they're worshiping this baby. Here we have this snapshot of Jesus at age 12 in the temple teaching the teachers. Jesus didn't grow up and decide he was going to save the world. God himself put on flesh to come and accomplish for us what we could never accomplish ourselves. To live a perfect life and to sacrifice himself for our sins so that we could have the relationship with him that we were created to have. Church, this is the gospel. And Luke wants us to see it from the very beginning of this gospel. He wants us to have certainty about the things that we have been taught. If you don't know Jesus today, let me just implore you to consider the truth of the gospel this day. To make certain of the things that you have been taught. This isn't your 
parents' faith. This isn't your church's faith. This is knowing Jesus in a real and tangible way. Did you know that today you can have certainty about the things that you have been taught? You can know Jesus today. The Jesus that came as a baby but grew up into a man, all the while never sinning against God. He started his ministry, and we're going to look at detail in that over the next few months. And he ultimately died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. But he rose again victorious, and he is living today, and he stands ready to save and transform anybody who would call upon him. At the end of our service today, you need to know that there are pastors and deacons available to you that want to talk to you about this. We really do not want you to leave if you do not have certainty of who Jesus is in your life. And if you do leave today and you think later, man, I really should have talked to somebody. I want you to call us. I want you to email us. I want you to come by this week. We want to talk to you so that you can have certainty about who Jesus is. But what does this mean for us today? Some of you would say, well, I already know Jesus, Rusty. I have a relationship with him. So what does this look like for us as Christ followers when we look at the stories, when we look at this truth? I want to remind you of a couple things I think are of great importance for us. This is a hard truth for us to remember in the moment, even though you all will agree with the statement. The first thing is this. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Now, here's what you need to know. You're not Jesus. Okay, write that down if you're taking notes. Uh, I'm not Jesus. But the truth is, just like God had a plan for Jesus from the very beginning of his earthly life, did you know that God has created you with a very specific purpose? God has created you with a specific plan and purpose for your life. If you're here and you are alive this morning, it's most of you from what I can tell, God has a plan for you. This should encourage you today. That you're not just aimlessly wandering through life, but God has a real plan for you. And you may nod along and be like, yeah, 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 but are you living as if that's true today? You know, it's interesting to me, I think about, for, for me as a parent, the reminder that, that my kids don't belong to me. We just had a one-month series on stewardship where we said every good thing in your life is given to you on loan from God. Parents, did you know it's not your job to mold and shape your children? But rather, God himself has given you those children. And yes, you should shepherd them in the ways of God. You should love them well. But you are not the creator of their destiny. Their creator is the creator of their destiny. And God has a plan for their lives. Every single person in here, I need you to hear me say this. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You may think that you're just a product of your circumstances or your situation or your raising. You may think you're just a product of all of these things. But you need to understand that God knew you before the foundations of the world. And God would say, I know you and I have a plan for you to be used for my glory. The Bible compares us to pottery, which is a, you know, a guy who's not real crafty. That's difficult for me to wrap my brain around sometimes. But the idea is that we are just jars of clay. We are the clay and Jesus is the potter. And he is molding and shaping us and turning us into his masterpiece. Now, for some of you, when I say that, your immediate reaction is kind of like, I don't like that, Rusty, because my life's not very good right now. 
Like, I feel like he's really messing up. This is going to be a weird piece of art. This is going to be like one of those that I go to the museum and I'm like, that's art. That's going to be me. But can I tell you something? I've not really watched this extensively, but, but if you've ever just seen a video of how this works or even seen it in person, the, the process of the potter working the clay it is beating that clay down. It's stretching it out. It, it is uh, getting imperfections off of it, roughing out the, the edges until it's smooth. It, it is difficult work. And you say that, think about your life being stretched out, pounded down, formed and shaped by Jesus Christ himself. Listen, if you were in the middle of it today, you need to understand that it is very much your life is a work in progress right now. And you are walking in God's plan, even if it's difficult. Now, I want to just throw a quick caveat out there. I did this in the first service, too. I think it's important to recognize this. Some of you may be going through difficult times because you've made some really dumb choices in your life. And God has allowed you to reap what you have sowed in hope that you would run back to him and say, this is dumb. I'm going back home. So if you're not walking with Jesus today, I don't want you to walk out of here in your sin saying, well, I'm just, hey, he's still working on me. Amen. He may be working on you to try to get you to run back to him. But if you know that you are seeking Jesus in all that you do and you're living for him and walking with him and life is difficult right now, can I just give you some hope today and tell you that Jesus is in the business of molding and shaping us into who it is that he wants us to be. And it can be a difficult process. There can be some difficult days, but you can trust that God isn't done yet. Jesus has a plan to save and transform you into who he wants you to be. And that ought to encourage you this morning. But I'll tell you this, that kind of talk always leads me to a really big question. How do we find God's plan? That sounds good, doesn't it? Like, amen. God has a plan for my life. The first response usually from us is, okay, what is it? I know in my life there have been moments where I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Show me your will, God. Whatever you want me to do, Lord, I'm in. Just show me what you want me to do. Can I tell you, so often I think we pray that and the Lord's like, how not start with what you already know I want you to do? Lord, I'll do anything you tell me. And he's like, love your neighbor. Uh, Lord, anything you want me to do. God, I'll do it. Use your gift to help build up the kingdom. Lord, what is it that you just show me? What you... Haven't you done this before? Some of us would do well to stop asking God what he wants us to do and start already doing the things we know he's told us to do. But we say, God, show me your direction. Show me your purpose in life. I find myself constantly disappointed when I don't see any big things ahead. But here's what God is kind of teaching me as I walk through this personally. How do we find God's plan? By simply walking with Jesus. By walking with Jesus. Now, I know that doesn't sound flashy. I know that right now some of you are disappointed. You'd already got your notebooks out. He's finally going to tell us. This is how I find God's plan. This was the sermon for me. And then you just hear walk walk with Jesus. You're like, oh, he Jesus juked us. Let me just tell you something. This doesn't sound flashy, but this is really what Luke has been pointing to so far in these first two chapters. Let's just use Mary as an example. Mary's a young lady who's trying to follow the Lord. Nothing special in her life. You wouldn't know anything about Mary when all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to be used by God for incredible things. 
What does the Bible record her saying? I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. She goes and meets her cousin, and then the babies leap in the womb, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is real. And she bursts into song, and what does she say? My soul magnifies the Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. Can I tell you something this morning? You're you're probably not going to get an angel. But I'm convinced today that if you would just say this morning, God, I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. This is my life. This is my commitment right here, right now. Jesus, I want to serve you. That God will bless your life and he will give you his direction. People will often ask me questions that basically end up sounding like this. How did you get here? How did you get here? They're talking about ministry. They're talking about even just geographical location. I mean, even strangers are like, you're not from here, are you? And I'm like, what are you trying to say? You know, I don't understand why you're thinking, you know. People ask, what are you doing here? And I can't really explain what, what God has done in my life, but I can tell you that if you would have asked me 15 years ago, if I was going to live in Dallas, Texas, that the little country boy in Southeast Texas would have said, no way that's happening. And then if you would ask me 10 years ago, uh, this, this newly certified city slicker, if he was going to move back to Southeast Texas to a town called Coontz with 2,000 people in it, I would have said, no way, that's not happening. And then we can just go as recent as six months ago. If you would have asked, hey, are you going to live in Wichita, Kansas? And I would have been like, it's kind of cold up there, isn't it? (laughs) By the way, this is my summer haircut, so I'm just trying to will that on. We'll see if it works. So far, I've just had to wear a hat everywhere I go, so bad choice. But at the end of the day, this is where we are. And all I know is this. That as messed up as I am with all the junk that I'm still walking through in my life, I'm nowhere near perfect. God is still working on me. But but I know that I've learned and I'm learning that if I get up today and I say, Lord, I want to walk in obedience to you today. I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Show me what you want today. That he gives me what I need for today. And if you're walking with Jesus today, then listen. Next week has a way of taking care of itself. Next year has a way of taking care of itself. Next decade has a way of taking care of itself. And you may end up in places and doing things that you never expected in your life. That God has a way of working that out if we would just commit to follow him today. This is hard for us because we live in a world of social media highlight reels. All of us are looking for the epic moments in our lives, those big moments of radical change and crazy things happening in our lives. And there are moments like that in our lives for sure. But did you know that most of our growth in this life comes in the small, everyday commitments to follow Jesus? All those little commitments that we make today to follow him. In verse 52... Luke literally sums up Jesus' entire childhood and his 20s with one statement. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. We hear stature usually in terms of size, like Rusty has a huge stature. 
But stature actually really just means years in this context. So essentially, Luke is saying Jesus got a little older and a little wiser. Year by year, day by day, moment by moment, Jesus grew in wisdom and years. No, no yearbooks, no Instagram stories, no celebrity moments, no magazine covers, no epic things. Just day by day growing into the plan that God had laid out for him. Here's my prayer for me, for my family, for my church family. It's my prayer that by God's grace, next week, next month, next year, next decade, as long as the Lord leaves us here, that we would be able to say we're a little older and we're a little wiser. Because day by day, we tried to follow Jesus. I woke up and I said, what do you want me to do today, Lord? And then I woke up the next day and I said, what do you want to do in my life, Lord? What do you want me to do? And God has a way of taking care of us. If you will trust him, if you will trust that he is fully God and fully man and that he had a plan for his life, and that plan for his life was ultimately to give you a plan for your life, to glorify him and proclaim his gospel, if you would walk in the plan he has for you today, that he'll take care of the rest of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the things we tend to worry about and dwell on our lives the most, the Bible says, Jesus says, will be added unto you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you have a plan for our lives. Lord, thank you that even in the midst of pretty basic and plain text, we can see your truth calling out to us. Lord, it's our desire to walk in your will each and every single day. I I pray, God, that you would help those in here who may be confused, those who may be looking for the big moments, who's seeking big direction in your life. God, may you give the wisdom for us to just simply follow you today. Show us what it is you want us to do today and help us to be who you want us to be. God, I do pray that if there's anybody here today who is not certain of the things that they have been taught concerning you, that today would be the day of salvation. We're thankful for the gospel that saves us and changes us daily. Help us to be who you want us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.